DW Africa Link. The time has come to get all the updates from Africa and beyond. This is Africa Link. Hello and welcome to the program with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And with Eddie, I'm Okerin Gushinado. Welcome to those listening through our partner stations and also on our Facebook page that is DW Africa. You can also find us on Spotify. Coming up on the program, it's what everybody is talking about. Ivory Coast wins the Africa Cup of Nations after coming from behind to beat the not-so-super eagles of Nigeria. I'm Ghanaian, I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> we hear from the winning coach. I can't even begin to measure my joy. It's enormous what's happening to me. I dreamt of winning an AFCON as a player and I didn't manage to do it. Here, I had the opportunity to do it as a coach. We seized it fully, we gave our all and we didn't let anything go to win the cup. Yes, that was a historic tournament by all standards, but ex expected the Nigerian fans were not excited with the outcome. We hear from some of them. At the end of the day, you win some, you lose some. Well, it didn't go our way. We could have done better, but today was just not our day. The elephant of Cote d'Ivoire really came out roaring tonight. Mm, I've never seen elephants roaring, but that yeah. says a lot about that <laughs> statement. Stay tuned for more of that and much more coming up after the world's news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the freeing of two hostages by Israeli forces in Gaza shows that military pressure is the only way to bring the remaining captives home. The two men were rescued in a special operation in Rafah, in which almost 70 people were reported to have been killed. They were kidnapped by Hamas during the October 7th terror attacks on Israel. Since the war began, Israeli army has rescued only three hostages. But why has it proved to be such a difficult task for Israel? Here is Marina Miron from the War Studies Department, King's College, London. We have to understand in what conditions Hamas operates in Gaza. We know that on the one hand, they use civilian buildings. On the other hand, they also use underground tunnels. And it is to assume that they are not keeping the hostages all in one place, because we have to understand the importance of hostages to Hamas. This is a bargaining chip that Hamas can use to negotiate ceasefires with Israel. So for Hamas, it's very important to ensure that Israeli soldiers do not find the hostages and finding them is like uh, finding a needle in a stack. But you first have to locate the stack. Marina Milon from the War Studies Department at King's College, London. Western leaders have criticized Donald Trump for saying he would not protect NATO allies who are not spending enough on defense from Russian attacks. The Republican frontrunner said he had previously told NATO states he would encourage Russia to do whatever it wants if they didn't fulfill their commitments to the bloc. Trump has quite often lashed out at members of the alliance for failing to spend at least 2% of their economic output on defense. The EU's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, has condemned Trump's comments, saying NATO is not an alliance where members can pick and choose their own rules. Let's be serious. NATO cannot be a, a la carte military alliance. Cannot be a military alliance that works depending on the humor of the president of the U.S. on those days. It's not yes, now yes, tomorrow no, it depends who are you. Now, come on, let's be serious. 
The Kenyan government has announced that the marathon world record holder Kelvin Kiptum will be buried as a national hero. The 24-year-old and his coach were killed in a car crash in western Kenya. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Qatar has freed eight Indian former naval officers after previously dropping their death sentences. They were jailed in 2022 on unspecified charges, but the Financial Times and Reuters say they were charged with spying for Israel. And rescue efforts are underway in a remote village in northern Ethiopia where more than 20 artisanal miners are trapped inside a cave. It's been three days since a narrow cave collapsed on the miners in the Delanta district. Local officials are not yet, or they don't know the exact number of the trapped miners. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Okiri Ngushinado. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. You can be a part of the show by sending us your comments on our Facebook page, DW Africa. I see some of you tuned in already. Lambert Kevin says, good evening from Yaoundé, Cameroon, Smith, Everson. And Golda White, all of you are very welcome to the program. Mm-hmm. Now, the topic, the everything <laughs> that everyone is talking about yep. is AFCON tournament. It was an incredible tournament yeah. what a story what a dream come true for Ivory Coast as they secured their third Africa Cup of Nations trophy now the elephants came from behind against the Super Eagles of Nigeria to win two goals to one and yeah. it was an incredible match to watch by all standards yeah. uh, I mean Sebastian Heller scoring the winning goal that was uh, quite a kick from mm-hmm. a typical striker now, Ivory Coast's success at the Africa Cup of Nations was all about taking advantage of second chances the host nation completely a fairy tale recovery after coming close to early elimination at the group stage. Ivory Coast caretaker coach MS Fire could not hide his excitement. I can't even begin to measure my joy. It's enormous what's happening to me. I dreamt of winning an AFCON as a player and I didn't manage to do it. Here, I had the opportunity to do it as a coach, despite the fact that it came under special and strange circumstances. It was my birthday. I had to deal with the departure of former coach Jean-Louis Desset, whom I also congratulate because it's also his victory. And then I took over the team when we weren't even sure of qualifying. It was a unique birthday, but by the grace of God, we got a second chance. We seized it fully, we gave our all, and we didn't let anything go to win the cup. That was Ivorian interim coach Amers Faye. Now, while he was elated, same could not be said for Nigerian coach, of course, Jose Pesero. While he was gracious in the defeat, he still bemoaned his team's loss. Congratulations for Cote d'Ivoire. was better than us today. I am sad. My team is sad. But uh, for me, they did the maximum, each one. Uh, the main point, I think, you didn't reach the individual quality and collective quality like the other match. We can speak about strategy, about system, but the key point, our team could not play in the same level. Yeah, that was Nigerian coach Jose Pacero. He was not the only one that expressed thoughts on Team Nigeria's loss. Let's hear from some supporters of the Super Eagles. We expected to win, but at the end of the day, you win some, you lose some. To be honest, 
I am 100% sure that a lot of Nigerians didn't think Nigeria was going to get to the finals. And that's the truth, unless we are trying to lie to ourselves. People didn't give these guys a chance. Well, it didn't go our way, but uh, we still need to commend the guys' uh, performance so far in this tournament. We could have done better. But today was just not our day. The elephant of Cote d'Ivoire really came out roaring tonight. And uh, of course, um, they went away with the trophy. Kudos goes to uh, Super Eagle because they really tried. They tried at best, but God knows we lost. Uh, congratulations to Ivory Coast for their win. After that, there's nothing we can do about it. They try, but the new feeder is not justified. Especially Alessi Wobi. He's not, he's not doing good at all. Oh, gosh, they sound so sad. <laughs> I mean, the Ivorians are the first host to win the African Cup of Nations in the last um, eight editions since um, Egypt's home success in 2006. Yeah. Now, um, our colleague Isaac Mukabi, who is a um, sports guru at this point, keenly <laughs> followed the tournament and joins us now in studio. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Okeri. Hello, Eddie. Thank you so much for inviting me. As usual, I always say it. It gives me pleasure to come and talk about sports here. I mean, Isaac... Um, and free of charge, by the way. <laughs> Did the best team win? I'm wondering from your point of view. Of course, the better team wins as usual. The more committed team always takes, you know, the glory. And not to say that well, the, those that lost didn't play their bit. But I mean, football, as I always say, has a way it tells its story. So Ivory Coast, whether it deserves to win or not, Many, many observers, many fans on both aisles, like you had the people there, the fans of the Super Eagles Nigeria saying, well, they deserved the win. And to start with, yes, Ivory Coast, the elephants, oh, les elephants, as they're called mm -hmm. in French, they deserved the win. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been quite a roller coaster of a tournament. I mm. mean, if you look at how Ivicus managed to steer clear and eventually left the trophy. We're talking about the first time an interim coach has taken over a team mm -hmm. and gone mm. all the way to lift the trophy. How amazing is that, Isaac? It's absolutely amazing. And Eddie, whether you will agree with me or not, and Kerry, I mean, football is the only true reality show, in <laughs> essence. Why am I saying this? The whole of AFCON, even, uh, let's talk about Ivory Coast itself. The script, no one could script that. No mm -hmm. one saw that coming, no. you know, having survived, yeah. like you mentioned, the group stages, and then they go on to eliminate the cup holders. Yeah. One nil. At, at that stage, they were rejuvenated. They kicked out Mali again from behind, two goals to one. That gives them more more energy. And mm -hmm. then they go on to eject DRC yeah. and they set foot onto the, the finals. For me, I saw it that I told even a few colleagues that I won't mention here that, mm -hmm. that Ivory Coast <laughs> is taking the trophy okay, because okay. if history serves us better, even in, in Europe, it has happened when Portugal survived the group stages and went on to beat all the teams and to clinch yeah, the Euro, yeah. Euros, I mean, yeah. when you win one game, it gives the energy to the other, especially when you're a survivor. Yeah. And on the contrary, the super egos, <laughs> <laughs> they were overly confident. You've invited me as analyst. I won't miss my words. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, they, they definitely really performed really well and played well as a team. But what can we say about the overall officiating and the organization um, of the whole tournament? The officiating was really good, not only from my point of view, but also from other football pundits. I can take an example, like uh, I was following Sky Analysis after the, the AFCON and Gary Neville, who you know very well, who played for yeah. Manchester United, said uh, the 
Afcon officials have got it right. You can think that actually football was invented in Africa or the refereeing was invented in African mm-hmm. continent. <laughs> Overall, they get an A+. Plus. Despite the fact that the finals, uh, there were some emotional times when the Super Eagles thought that mm. where the referee is overly blowing the whistle against them, but these were clear fouls, to say the least. And for me, I think the officiating was really top-notch. I should have expected to see more female female referees, like was the case previously. Mm-hmm. But at least we saw two of them at the final game. Yes. But I would have loved to see, mm. to see a center referee like we had one in the previous AFCON in Cameroon, yeah. who apparently even comes from my country, Rwanda, and who's mm-hmm. a FIFA-certified referee. Solid. She was also at the Qatar World yeah, Cup. Yeah. So for me, that it was a faux pas on the organizers, on CAF especially. Why not female, female referees? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember seeing that as well. I think she's Moroccan or not, if I'm not mistaken. And I really love to see her on the field, um, mm. you know, as a woman referee. But I mean, everyone has watched AFCON and seen the games. And now we kind of see what Africa has to offer in regards to football. Mm. What does the future hold for African football? Uh, there's a, Of course, we are all happy that this AFCON was properly organized, if I should say. But I mean, I've been speaking to many soccer pundits and observers, and I think more at the grassroots levels needs to be done. Uh, youth academies, you know, the intermediate, and also one pertinent issue is what happens to the stadiums. It's one of the stories that we had last weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of activity has to take place in these stadiums, or stadia, mm. if you will, for football itself to grow on the continent at all levels, especially at the youth, youth mm. levels. And grassroots that's where it's supposed to start and again we need to have faith in local talent look at a team like uh, bafana bafana of south africa it had almost eight players from mamelody mm-hmm. you know one team look at teams that came from mauritania cap verde you know botswana they boast of players from local local teams and also maybe those from third tiers Rather than always looking at the big super leagues like the Bundesliga, La Liga, EPA, yeah. English Premier League. No, let's also stick home and look out for the talent at home. Then a lot will be there to celebrate in the future for football in the continent. I 100% agree with you, Isaac Mugabe. If Ghana had done that, I think it would have gone. Oh, come on. <laughs> I knew somewhere you would stick in the black stars. Just, just <laughs> let people know about that. But thank you very much, Isaac, uh, for your time and your analysis. Our Facebook page, TW Africa, has been buzzing with reactions from the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, let's uh, take a look at some of them. We'll carry this one from Oking Wokem says, Nigeria got it wrong tactically. Packing the bus is no way to win a final against a host country. Mm-hmm. Ismail Abbas says, Ivory Coast team went from strength to strength, improving and from one game to another, they displays a tantalizing performance throughout the tournament. I didn't support them tonight, but my heart is with our brothers Nigeria. <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> yep, yep. Definition of a bad beginning makes a good ending. Congratulations, Cote d'Ivoire. That is a comment from Zede King. Mm-hmm. Tony Majak says, impressive how they almost failed to make it through the group stage, but keep the trophy. Yeah, a lot of people are saluting the, the the professionalism and the heroics of the Ivorian national team because, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, no one saw this coming. Yes. But uh, yeah, it's been great. Even if you get uh, Okeri to actually pay attention to football, then this must have been a I, very good. I watched it yesterday yeah. and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it was good company, good food. <laughs> and I mean, a great game because 
I, I mean, from second half, I think that's where most of the excitement came from. And also when they scored the second goal, that's when I knew that was it. And it was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you were listening to Africa Link broadcasted Monday to Friday. I am Okeri Ngushinato. And I am Eddie Michael Jr. Remember, you can be part of the show by commenting on the stories we're covering on our Facebook page, DW Africa. In the next few minutes, we'll be looking at former child soldiers in Sierra Leone, how they are finding healing 20 years after the civil war in the country. Before even becoming a child soldier, I had my dream as a child of becoming a medical doctor. My desire has always been to help those who are in difficulties rather than inflicting pain on on people. I can tell you're very interested in, in that story, so let's jump right into it. As the world comes together on February 12 to recognize the International Day Against the Use of Child Soldiers, commonly referred to as Red Hand Day, Sierra Leone is reflecting once more on its relationship with the past. Yes, now the West African nation had its own share of child soldiers during its civil war from 1991 to 2002. But a good number of them now, Eddie, are now fathers, civil servants. I mean, some fell by the wayside and others also became Entrepreneurs. That's right. Let's join our correspondent in Freetown, Claudia Anthony, to hear how the journey of the former child soldiers played out. Caution, this report contains information which may be triggering for our listeners. Before even becoming a child soldier, I had my dream as a child of becoming a medical doctor. My desire has always been to help those who are in difficulties rather than inflicting pain on, on people. That was Ishmael Morgan Heritage Charles, a former child soldier. Today, he is an author and humanitarian executive. Charles's dream of becoming a medical doctor was disrupted by the brutal war in Sierra Leone. But he has since dedicated his life to creating a brighter future for himself and others, proving that even the deepest trauma can be overcome. He told DW that he dedicated his life to the study of peace and conflict once the conflict in Sierra Leone was over. I went to the social sciences studying peace and conflict studies, after which I did several courses on international humanitarian assistance and recently completed my MBA on leadership and management. In those days, the country's current Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs, Dr. Isata Mahoy, worked with the children and teenagers brandishing guns. She explained how deep the trauma was. I was one of those people teaching them using psychosocial support systems, like using drama songs to help them come out of the ravages of the war. Father Peter Conte is a Catholic priest who worked with children associated with the war, one of the first response groups for children who were returning from the battlefield. He recalls the challenges they were faced with. Sierra Leone had the challenge to resettle the child soldiers, not only to remove the arms from them, but also to de-traumatize them. Because many of them were forced to take up arms when they were little kids and they experienced a lot of horror, which led to a lot of psychological problems. First of all, we had to let them understand their roles as kids again, because in the jungle, they were exposed to all sorts of lives, including killing, raping, many, many atrocities. There are a number of ways these children can voluntarily give up their weapons, such as arms for job training, arms for startup kits, etc. In Sierra Leone, it was arms for cash. Father Conte said he had a better strategy. There were many lessons learned during this period, especially the approach that was taken to resettle the child soldiers. 
there were some they gave money so that they could return the weapons, which was very good. But I was always skeptical because some parents were saying to their children who never took arms that they were like stupid because the other fellows were getting compensation and they were not getting. So I was campaigning that a better approach could have been investing community structures rather than compensating individuals who took up arms. As the world commemorates Red Hand Day, ideas and suggestions like those floated by Father Conte are becoming increasingly urgent. The UN reported a rise in grave violations against children in 2022 in the context of war and conflict. In the most recent UN report on children and armed conflicts published last June, Secretary General Antonio Guterres said these violations include killings, maiming, abuse and abduction, not to mention lasting trauma. That is Claudia Anthony with that report in Freetown. And I mean, uh, February 12th, just to remember again, yeah. um, to remind our listeners, it's a day to recognize um, the use of child soldiers. And I think it's a very important day because seven countries on the continent account for 40% of the world's child soldiers. Mm. Um, but yes, now let's yeah, turn that's, our that's, attention. That's, that's quite grim. Not sorry to catch it, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. really quite grim. And uh, I mean, based on uh, d- d- dealing with this, is there, do we see light at the end of the tunnel? Is this something that is being taken seriously? I think definitely now f- from what I heard from that report mm. and what I really appreciated is the fact of how they're trying to help them psychology, mm. um, psychologically-wise um, yeah. when they move on from this. Um, because it's not from holding a gun to kind of like functioning in, in society, yeah. it's very difficult. Yeah. So you need to kind of like be patient and compassionate with them. And also hearing from the entrepreneur right now, um, what his dreams were and what he's doing to help others, it sounds like it's very much possible. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're turning our attention now to a health crisis that is spreading across Kenya and East Africa. We're talking about the, eye, um, the outbreak of pink eye or red eye disease, which mm. has health officials and the public on high alert. Yeah. Yeah, the eye infection is caused by viruses, bacteria and allergens causing inflammation of tissues lining the eyelid. Some of the signs of the infection, uh, you know, which can actually affect one or both eyes include swollen or reddened eyes, persistent pain and yellowish discharge. Mm-hmm. Now, to provide us with more insights into the disease from Kenya, we have our correspondent Andrew Wasike on the ground. Conjunctivitis is a highly contagious condition causing red itchy eyes, discharge and irritation is spreading across communities sparking fear and concern. While cases have been reported in Tanzania, Uganda and Rwanda, Kenya appears to be the hardest hit nation in the region with many cases reported along the Kenyan coast. Here in Nairobi, the capital, I have had the opportunity to speak with several individuals who have been impacted by the red eye disease. Many describe the feeling as extremely uncomfortable, like Rashid Abdi who spoke to DW. I contracted this illness from my child. When I returned from work, I was perfectly healthy. My child hugged me, calling out, Daddy, Daddy, but I could see he was in pain, his eyes infected. That very night, I started experiencing symptoms myself. Neither my son or I slept well. We were both in discomfort. 
By the next morning, even my wife had caught the infection. Her face was swollen just like our nannies. She too had been infected. Abdi explains he followed advice from relatives in coastal Kenya to use boiled tea leaves or ocean water as remedies, but both methods proved ineffective. Using fresh tea boiled from tea leaves to wash your eyes makes them extremely red. I'm not certain whether it's supposed to alleviate our symptoms or exacerbate them. What I can say is that using ocean water seems to be effective. My locals are turning it to a remedy. In fact, the bottle I'm holding right now contains ocean water. Don't let the mineral water label confuse you. Health officials stress the importance of preventive measures such as regular hand washing and avoiding eye contact to curb further transmission. Dr. Abdallah Deleno, Mombasa County Health Officer, is urging the public to only use proper medication. You are just supposed to use normal eye drops or boric acid, which is perfect and it will just clear. But in case somebody feels like uh, the eye is sticky and it's having some discharges, then he needs to go to a, a, a clinic nearby. Uh, we've already started uh, school health programs where all our PHOs are in the, facility, in the schools and uh, sensitize the communities around. Cases have also surfaced in major cities across East Africa. Kenya's government spokesman, Isaac Maura, noted that the disease could have been imported from neighboring countries. Here in Nairobi, residents are committed to maintaining stringent hygiene practices. Having seen it with my son, and let me tell you, it was my son, but I cringed. Hygiene measures are very important when it comes to this. Health authorities are working tirelessly to control the outbreak across East Africa. Mass awareness campaigns are underway in all the affected countries, educating the public on symptoms, prevention methods, and where to seek treatment. Andrew Wasike in Nairobi, Kenya. Now, Besides the African tournament on Sunday evening, the Kansas City Chiefs fought back to beat the San Francisco at the Super Bowl. I'm sure you watched it. Mm-hmm. I mean, but for me, the Super Bowl is all about the halftime oh, show. Yeah. And Usher was there and he delivered a hit-heavy halftime show with Will I Am, Alicia Keys and so many more. And also there was a surprise announcement from Beyonce. But let's just go to showbiz with Iram Atipo, who brings us more um, for this segment. <laughs> Following a thrilling Super Bowl game, the Kansas Chiefs emerged victorious. The Chiefs' remarkable on-field display proved their talent and perseverance, which finally resulted in Super Bowl victory. Fans around rejoiced as the team added another amazing chapter to their history. The win makes Kansas City the first team to win back-to-back Lombardi trophies in two decades, cementing the franchise's right to be regarded as the NFL's latest dynasty. The spotlight, however, wasn't solely on the football action, as Taylor Swift's unstoppable hype continued to steal the show. Adding fuel to entertainment fire, Asher took the stage, setting it ablaze with his energetic performance. The R&B icon once again proved why he is a powerful influence in the music industry with an incredible performance. The AFCON tournament may be over, but we are still celebrating the star players from the entire game. Bafana Bafana's Ronwen Williams scooped the award for the best goalkeeper. Captain Ronwen Williams emerged as the hero, steering his team to a remarkable third-place finish. 
A feat not seen since 2000, her stellar performance included an exceptional four saves in penalty shootouts during the quarterfinal clash against Cape Verde. But that's not all. Bafana Bafana has also claimed the Fair Play Award and proudly secured the bronze medal. Meanwhile, Super Eagles captain William Econ has been crowned the man of the competition at AFCON. Although Nigeria could not walk away victorious this time around, Nigerian President Bola Tinubu hailed the team for their remarkable performance at the tournament. Tinubu praised the team's tenacity in securing second place and commended them for their hard work. And sad news in Kenyan sports. Tributes continue to pour in following the tragic death of Kenya's marathon world record holder Kevin Kiptum. The 24-year-old died in a car accident alongside his coach, Jarve Hakizimana, on Sunday. Kiptum, who outplaced Elliot Kipchoge's record in 2023, was a rising star set for the Paris Olympics. Elliot Kipchoge and President William Ruto remembered Kiptum as an extraordinary sportsman. Kenya's Cabinet Secretary for Sports, Ababu Namwamba, noted that the Kenya's athletic is mourning a remarkable sportsman. It's a very dark morning, a very dark day for our country, a very dark day for the athletics fraternity, both in Kenya and uh, across the world. And um, really we are lost for words for, for this horrible horrible loss of a brilliant, brilliant young man who had hit the top of the world and at only 24 was destined to dominate and rule the world of marathon running for a long, long time. Our condolences to the family. And that's the latest in showbiz. Back to you, Akeri and Eddie. Thank you very much, Aram, for, uh, you know, wrapping it all up from what happened over the weekend, the good and the bad altogether. Gentle reminder to all Nigerians listening, uh, you lost the Africa Cup of Nations uh. to Ivory Coast. Let's <laughs> let, let that sink in and let's see what the next competition will bring. Thanks a lot for staying tuned into the program. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And I am Okerin Gushinado. Until next time. DW. Made for Minds.